0: For the persecutor. Welcome back. Thank you for taking the time this week to be with us. My
1: name is Todd Nettleton. Today we're going to hear an interview that I recorded with Dr. Arez Saref. He is the president of One for Israel Bible College. They are training Christian leaders for the nation of Israel and really even outside the nation of Israel, into the surrounding nations and around the world. It's not unusual to hear reports out of Israel about conflict or even violence. Today we're going to get a picture of something else happening in Israel, some good news. Dr. Erez Saref also has a lot to tell us about how to share our faith, particularly with people from different backgrounds. He speaks from his own experience, and I started our conversation by asking him to explain how he, as a Jewish man, came to faith in Yeshua in Jesus
2: I was born and raised in Israel to uh, what we would call here a traditional Jewish family and uh, as strange as it may sound you know when I grew up in Israel I've never met a Christian person um, never saw the New Testament or heard of its existence I had no idea what it says clearly and so didn't really know anything about uh, Jesus of Nazareth Um, And it's kind of particularly strange because growing up, I visited Jerusalem many times and the Sea of Galilee and so on. We call that kind of phenomenon Jesus being the best kept secret in Israel. In Israel, after high school, we have a military service. After military service, uh, many of us go to travel. And during the course of that kind of travel, I ended up in Europe. And for the first time in my life, I've met a group of believers in Jesus They told me that they are believers in Jesus and said, good for you. And as I got to know them just a little bit, I saw that they had a a unique spiritual quality that I couldn't quite explain. What was really surprising to me was that uh, they were talking about the Bible, and some of them were familiar with the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, which kind of amazed me because I said, well, aren't you guys Christians supposed to read the New Testament? I mean, the Old Testament is our book. And they told me that their whole Bible is one book. I mean, both the Old and New Testaments. So, well, I have a Bible at home and, you know, we studied in school and I've never seen the New Testament. <laughs> However, it was really through their testimony and with time through my reading of the New Testament, and I was truly amazed and very much felt that I'm drawn to Jesus' figure and who he is. And after a while of doing that, I've become convinced first in my head, then in my heart that Jesus is not just the Messiah of the Gentiles. He's also uh, our Messiah, the Messiah of the Jewish people. I had a spiritual experience with the Lord and in the days and weeks after that, I've discovered I had a, a very strange hunger for reading the Bible. So I would read the Bible for days and felt the Lord is telling me to go back to Israel, tell my family and my friends and and everybody else because no one else was telling us to to my knowledge at that time and that's what I did and upon returning to Israel to my surprise and disappointment the reaction from my family and friends was was not as enthusiastic as I hoped it would be but I'm very uh, fortunate in the sense that I still have a good relationship with my family and my childhood friends and so on. Uh, I discovered there was a, a local congregation in uh, my hometown, in my, the city where I grew up. And uh, I joined there and I learned that at that time, this is about, well, almost a, a little over 30 years ago, there were very few congregations or churches of Jewish believers in the country. It has grown a lot since that time. But that was the beginning of my walk with the Lord.
1: I want to go back to you meet these non-Israelis, mm-hmm. non-Jews right. who are followers of Christ. Mm-hmm. As they talked about Christ, who who you really didn't know hardly anything about, right. did they say he was Jewish? Like like you should care about him because you're a Jew and he was Jewish? I,
2: I, think, he, I think maybe one of them did. I'm not, I'm not sure the others were actually aware of this <laughs> so much, but... But, uh, yeah, there was one of them that did. And, you know, I, I saw that actually when I started reading the New Testament because, um, you know, the setting, particularly the Gospels, you know, the setting is, is in the land of Israel. All those places that are mentioned in the Gospels I've visited many times. I mean, that's kind of where, where I grew up. You know, the, the different sects in, in the Jewish world, the different groups— are still with us, a lot of religiosity and and that kind of thing. So it it felt familiar. It didn't feel foreign. Actually, it was one of the big things for me. I didn't know what to expect coming to read the New Testament because I expected there's got to be some terrible stuff there. Otherwise, why aren't we reading it, you know? So I was very much surprised that way.
1: And you mentioned, as we were getting ready for this, even today... You can't go down to a bookstore in right. Israel and and buy a New Testament in Hebrew.
2: That's right. You can buy the Quran, the Bhagavad Gita, and other religions, religious books in Hebrew. But the New Testament, you can't find it uh, in bookstores. Of course, we make sure these days that it's you know it's fully available online and text, audio, video, um, so it's available, but online, not in bookstores. Part of it has to do with with the very painful history of the church and the Jewish people. But, um, you know, even in Jewish tradition, rabbinic tradition, Jews are allowed to pray in a mosque or even to pray with a Muslim, but not in a church or with a Christian. And yet, there's tremendous openness in Israel today, particularly for uh, younger generation, the younger generation. And uh, people are open to anything, but also to hear about
1: Jesus and the New Testament. You mentioned as a young, you had never heard of Jesus. Right, like, like you had no right. knowledge at all. How common is that today in Israel that you would walk up to someone, and they'd be like, "Jesus, who is that? I've never heard of him."
2: So it's very, very different today. There's much, I mean, significant, maybe even dramatic difference in how it used to be 30 years ago. A lot of people actually met a Jewish believer in Jesus uh, in the course of their life, in school, or in in the army, or in university, or, in, or at work. Even more than that, the vast majority of Israelis under 35 have watched a video, read an article, listened to a podcast where, you know, Jewish believers in Jesus are discussing their faith. It's just a dramatic difference in how it used to be 30 years ago.
1: Well, just to have a a mental picture of what a Jewish believer in Christ looks like, Mm -hmm. whereas when you came, like, you didn't even know that was an option. I mean, no,
2: no. So I, I just never heard it existed. And I remember that, you know, again, in my family, as news about my faith spread, the reaction was, well, who's ever heard about that? Why do we even do it? Who, who do we send him to talk to type thing? <laughs> um, but it, it's certainly very different now.
1: Yeah. So what happens today? You mentioned, especially the younger generation, very open, open mm-hmm. to anything, open to new ideas, <laughs> some not good ideas. Yeah, what happens if one of those says, I'm gonna follow Christ now. I was born in a Jewish family, I've been a Jew all my life, I'm gonna follow Jesus. What does that look like for them in terms of, like you mentioned, your family wasn't super happy to hear this news, no. is is that still pretty common?
2: It's still the case, I mean, uh, it's important to say that Israel is a democracy with freedom of speech and freedom of religion. And as believers in Yeshua and Jesus in Israel, we, are free to worship and exercise our faith and share our faith. This is all completely legal, Uh, but not all segments of society are so happy that we exercise our freedoms in this way. And so if a Jewish person comes to know the Lord, he will most likely get some pushback from his family, again, depending on the religiosity level of his family. The more religious the family, probably the more pushback he will receive.
1: And what does that look like?
2: Well, like- in, in extreme cases, it would be that the family would um, actually mourn him as if he's dead. Oh, wow. So he would be dead for his family. Um, this, is, this is not happening very often anymore. Uh, it used to be much more uh, in the past, but definitely some social um, losses. And um, in some cases, again, there could be some uh, very unpleasant situations, it's very rare in the Jewish community that it comes to an actual death threat, so that's usually not the case. Um, it's just usually social isolation, and um, you know there have been people that have been thrown out of their homes, and you know just didn't literally didn't have where to go. And we sometimes get students here that that's kind of the case for them. They they don't really have anybody that uh, helps them.
1: They would probably know. What the cost is going to – like when they make that decision, if you're in a very religious family, you oh, yeah. would probably know, oh, yeah. I'm going to lose my family for this.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's actually can be very, very, very difficult for them because um, particularly in the orthodox community. So they live in a very closed and close-knit community. They don't really know how the rest of the world functions. Uh, what they study in school is basically only religious studies or for the vast majority of religious studies. So sometimes even simple life skills um, are very difficult. So, uh, I mean, again, very smart and able people just never so been taught, yeah. you know. And so for some of them, I mean, these are the more extreme cases, but uh, it's a bigger learning curve.
1: Let's talk a little more broadly about the church because mm-hmm. – you mentioned there's pressure that's brought against individuals, mm-hmm. but there's also pressure that's brought against congregations. Right. What does that look like?
2: So, you know, like uh, Paul, before his conversion, there are groups of Orthodox Jews today that believe that by making our life as difficult as possible, they, they serve God. And so how that could look at a local church or congregation is that they would um, try to cause most churches rent their facilities, so they would try to cause their landlord to uh, throw them out and, and, and kinda cause trouble this way. In extreme cases, they would try to break into the meeting and disrupt. Uh, many times they would send leaflets in the neighborhoods kind of warning them from the dangerous believers in Jesus. Uh, they would uh, uh, try to intimidate people by filming them as they leave the congregation um, there have been cases that actually they've contacted workplaces of people and said, oh, this, this and that person is a believer in Jesus, and they try to apply pressure to have them fired. And mostly it doesn't work. There have been some cases that it did, and then many times we would try to help and encourage people to
1: actually file a lawsuit
2: because that's illegal
1: right. uh, in, in Israel. Because you have the protection of religious freedom, Obviously, that can be a long process, but usually, at the end of the yeah. lawsuit, the government honors their freedom, or most times,
2: our courts have yes respected okay. the freedom of religion and freedom of speech.
1: So the pressure is not coming from the That's government right. per se; it's coming from
2: yes groups those organizations. The country. Okay. The thing is that those groups are very well connected politically. And so they allow themselves a lot of of freedoms that the law actually does not provide them. (laughs) And so it's a question of of the legal tension of how litigious you wanna be. Um, So we find ourselves often on both sides of that. Do we, we have to decide, do we sue them because they did something that's illegal as as a preventative for next times? And uh, knowing that's gonna take a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of money. Oh, we say, oh, just you know, we're just going to focus on what what we're called to do and try to ignore it. And then sometimes they sue us, and we have to defend in the same way.
1: One of the things we talked about before we started recording is sometimes Americans unknowingly support some of those groups that are harassing churches and uh, you know putting pastors' faces and names and phone numbers on websites. And how how do we as as mm-hmm. believers? not living in Israel, be discerning about what we support and how we help the church here?
2: Yeah, so so first I have to say that um, I'm always, I'm, I'm very thankful, I'm always humbled when I meet believers that um, God has put the love for Israel in their hearts and they're praying for the salvation of the Jewish people. Uh, so I, I deeply appreciate that. H- however, as you said, sometimes unknowingly evangelical believers can uh, donate finances or be involved in causes that, again, they're not aware, but they're actually causing damage to the gospel in the land of Israel among the Jewish people. Uh, The best thing to do, I think, is really to ask. There are a lot of believers in Israel now, and uh, people are welcome to contact either us at One for Israel or others and just ask, is this and that organization good? I mean, is that good for the gospel?
1: Let's talk about the Bible College because you mentioned this is the mm-hmm. only accredited Bible right. College in the nation of Israel. How did that come up? Was that a challenge to to get to that point? Absolutely, it was and it is a challenge
2: <laughs> <laughs> continually. Not past tense. No, it's not past tense, but um, but yeah, but God has really blessed us. We've come a long way. The vision has always been to create an institution. You know, education is very highly valued in in, in the Jewish society and in Israel in general. And so um, providing high level biblical education, biblical theological education for believers in Israel, we thought was a very worthy cause. And so, um, and that's, that's that's the goal for the Bible College. We are, since we're the only one, uh, we're blessed to serve all segments of the church. We're, we don't belong to any one denomination. We would definitely be considered Um, In the U.S., a more uh, conservative seminary, you could say. Uh, But we serve everyone. We literally serve Jewish believers, Arab believers. Uh, We have programs in Russian, in Arabic, in other languages. We had Spanish and other languages in the past. Um, So, you know, Israel is an immigration country. Uh, We had classes in Meharic for Ethiopian believers. Um, But the vast majority of our teaching is in Hebrew. And... uh, Again, all denominations are present here. Most pastors in the country have been trained by us.
1: And is that like a four-year full-time program? Is it you come for a week and then you come back next month for another week? Or or is it all of those?
2: <laughs> so it's all of the above. Okay. Uh, it's the shortest program is one year, uh, fairly intensive. And then the longest one is the four-year bachelor. There are a couple of master's programs as well. Uh, we have a, a partnership with uh, the Osteological Seminary. We did a doctor program with them. Now we do a master's program with them. Yeah, we, we all of our classes are now after COVID. All of them are hybrid. So you don't even physically have to be in the you, room. You don't have to physically be in the room. We find that most actually want to come. Right. So that's a good thing, we think. But uh, there are some that are not, you know, and they're taking classes uh, in distance.
1: How interesting is it to have side by side in the classroom maybe someone who is a believer out of islam Mm -hmm. someone who's a believer out of orthodox judaism someone else who was maybe an atheist side by side studying the bible studying Mm -hmm. leadership studying how to grow the church how much do they learn from each other in the course of that as well as from the professors
2: you know particularly in the extremes that you've you've mentioned um, they actually can really identify with one another. I think they're going through some of the same things in in their separate uh-huh. communities. But you know, our focus, particularly in a, in, a, in a country and a region that's so politically volatile, we focus on the Bible. So we really don't discuss politics. Um, but in terms of personal experience, they can really encourage one another because it's very common. Many times, many of the things they'll go through are common.
1: Interesting and i suspect what they've heard like what what their yeah. their picture of yeah. a radical muslim yes. is like wait a minute this guy yeah. sitting next to me studying the bible oh, yeah. that's not that's not what i was told he was yeah. like yeah and actually
2: actually what comes to my mind is is uh, a guy that came out of islam he it was it was in a real uh, extreme islam and you know they were taught a lot of, a lot of very different things about about jewish people oh, and I'm when sure. he first met um, Jewish Jewish people. He, he was really. He didn't know what to expect. I mean, it was it was really interesting. And and, and vice versa, of course. It's. Uh, but then, really, the human factor is is overcoming that. And, and obviously, God's spirit. But like I said many times, I actually become good friends.
1: Yeah. So you mentioned that you know getting the only accredited Bible college in Israel was a challenge and still is. Mm-hmm. What are what's the challenge going forward? Uh, we we're treated we're treated like everybody else like i don't well
2: maybe sometimes because we were such a small country and politics play such a huge part uh, so maybe sometimes we are earmarked for a more severe treatment but uh, you know just they're keep, watching
1: closely in other
2: yeah words. yeah but, but generally speaking again we enjoy a lot of a lot of freedoms and and fair treatment and um, yeah what do your graduates go on to do the vast majority of the people that graduate with a full degree go to full-time ministry either in the local congregations churches or different uh, organizations the most popular program for young adults is our one-year certificate so they would do a one-year certificate with us and then they would go to you know transfer some of the credits to university or secular college and become lawyers doctors i don't know accountants, whatever.
1: How many congregations are there in in Israel?
2: So I would say if we combine the number of Jewish and Arab believers, there's probably at least 400. Um, Congregations. Congregations and churches, yeah. And these are both Jewish and Arab uh, believers. Um, Because of language, by the way, they're mostly separate. And that's representing a dramatic, dramatic growth from where it was, you know, uh, even 30 years ago.
1: What would you say to believers who have maybe a Jewish coworker? Mm-hmm. Maybe they're like you. They yeah. just have never thought about Jesus. Right. Maybe they've had a bad experience with Christians. Right? How do we, as Christians, kind of open that door mm-hmm. and hopefully nudge them towards Jesus?
2: So I, I would say that the best... And most Jewish thing you can do for your Jewish friend or neighbor or whatever is to tell them about Jesus. How to do it? I think I think many times um, you know, in the church, we, we may not even be aware that, that we use a lot of Christianese. So uh, the best would be not to use yeah, not Christian terms. So um, talk about uh, the Hebrew Bible. If you talk about the Hebrew Bible with a, with a Jewish person, that will usually be a very good start. And then, um, yeah, mention that Jesus is Jewish, and go from there. And I will say, I will say to our listeners that have um, a Jewish friend or neighbor or relative or whatever, that they're watching, they're seeing something different, and they don't know what to attribute it to. It's your religiosity, it's you, you're just a strange person, but they see something, they see some spiritual quality, and uh, sometimes even just asking whether you can pray for them if they're going through a difficult time can be a great beginning.
1: Amen. One of the things we always want to do on Voice of the Martyrs Radio is equip people to pray. Thinking about the nation of Israel, Mm -hmm. thinking about especially the body of Christ, how do we pray? How can we pray right now?
2: Thank you, yeah. So I would say first that this window of openness will continue so that as believers here, We will continue to have a sense of urgency for sharing the gospel, but also to have that uh, open door legally. And we know it's going to change at some point, but right now it seems to be open. Um, Definitely pray for the health and maturity of the local churches and congregations, which naturally would mean uh, leaders. And um, also for, there's a lot of people, particularly a lot of younger people, That have come to know the Lord, but they're not part, actually, especially during COVID, and they're not part of a local church or congregation. So just pray that they will find a stable spiritual home and that many, many more of our family members, friends, neighbors will come to know and open their hearts to Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah.
1: Amen. Well, we will pray, and I encourage you to pray this week for the nation of Israel and for God's work here. Dr. Erez Saref is the president of One for Israel Bible College. Thank you so much for sharing this week. Pleasure.
0: Thank you. Christians in hostile nations may live far from us. As believers, we know that we are one with them and part of the body of Christ. As such, we can't ignore their suffering. If the Holy Spirit is impressing you to know more and support the work of Voice of the Martyrs, please visit our website at vom.com. .com.au All donations of $2 and more are tax-deductible in Australia. This has been a production of VOM Oz Radio, Voice for the Persecuted.